Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. We are kicking off the holiday season with a short series about gratitude. Over the next three weeks, our pastors will discuss the premise of thankfulness and how trusting in God can make us more grateful. Let's get this series underway with Lesson 1, presented by Pastor Chuck Knowles. Thank you for listening. And so as we open up our series on Thanksgiving, these next three weeks, we're going to be talking about thankfulness. It's the Thanksgiving season. Um, One of the more challenging things for us as human beings is to be thankful. And, And it starts that way right out of the gate. And how do we know that? Those of us who've raised children, um, we see this pretty rank, unseemly attitude of ungratefulness. You know, we we talk about um, entitlement. You get some teenagers, right? And the entitlement, but it starts before that. I remember one time one of my children, I won't say her name because she's going to be here in the next service, But Catherine, (laughs) we took her to an amusement park. An amusement park. I mean, with rides and all kinds of crazy stuff. It was amazing. We had such a great day. And as we're getting in the car, she proceeded to ask us if we could go ride some horses. I said, no, we're done for the day. We just, we had a great day, didn't we? And... That did not go over well. And I was like, what is going? It it made my mind blow. How in the world, after all that I've done for her, this very day, could she not be thankful? In all my kids, I pick her out. It's it's an easy target. No. Just more forthright in her thinking, I suppose. You might put it that way. But the reality was Kate was disappointed and profoundly disappointed, real. And we feel it. God does so many amazing things for us, and yet how often are we profoundly disappointed? Life is full of harsh disappointments. We lose jobs. This is a list, by the way, that things I've had to go through. We lose jobs. We struggle financially. We drive a junky car, maybe. We rent when we want to own. When we do finally own, we wish we had a nicer house like our neighbor. And those are real situations. They really affect us. I remember one time I was really disappointed with God. And I told him so. Because that's what I do. I talk to God. And I told him, I'm disappointed. I may have told the story. Some of you may have heard it. But it has never left me. I was One of my daughters was going to college, and I was upset that I couldn't just write a check. I followed you, God. I serve you, God. 
And I've put myself in a position where I can't do that because I was serving you. So I had this in my mind, this account, this, this ledger that somehow God owed me something. And as I said it, I said it right out loud to my wife. And she just probably groaned. I look over and there was this guy pushing carriages. He had a Walmart vest on. And this is what he was doing. And he's pushing these carriages. And I felt like God spoke right to my heart. None of your children are walking like that. You don't walk like that. Is that fair to him? What about his parents? He didn't want me to be happy that I couldn't write a check. That isn't the point. He wanted me to be thankful for what he has done for me. And there are real hardships that come our way. I mean, like real ones. Not that those aren't real, but, you know, we lose a friend. I've lost friends. I didn't lose a sibling. But we lose siblings, we lose parents, we lose spouses, we lose children. These are real, profound, horrible disappointments. We expect as Christians not to have to deal with these things. Sickness, we should just be able to pray. I wonder what Paul felt like when he had to leave his colleague behind because he was sick. That's what the Bible tells us. Paul the apostle, we had to leave him behind because he was sick. Disappointments. They're real. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians, the fourth chapter. I'm breaking in my new preaching Bible. It's a new preaching Bible. Beginning in the sixth verse, Ephesians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me, and you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We're to be thankful in all things. 
He didn't say be thankful for all things, and we'll get into that. But thankfulness is a lot like love. Now, love in English is a noun. It describes an abstract feeling, right? It's a thing. But in the Greek, it is agape, which is actually a verb. It's action. God tells us, like Thanksgiving, we are to love, and it's that dispassionate love. That's the nature of agape. It isn't based on a feeling. It's based on knowledge. It's based on a desire to accomplish something. So we love whether we feel like loving or not. People say, oh, I fell out of love. What does that have to do with it? There's agape love in our marriages, right? We love, and it's an action verb. It's a willful love. It's the willful love that sent Jesus to this earth. For God so loved, agapeo, God so loved, what did he do? He sent Jesus. It was the love, agape, that sent him to the cross. He didn't feel like doing it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he did it. In that same way that we are commanded to love, we are and can expect to be thankful. That's what God wants us to do. Be thankful regardless of the circumstances. And that's why in to the church of Thessalonica, he said, in everything, give thanks. Again, the commandment is not a suggestion that we should feel thankful for everything. Jesus wasn't feeling particularly thankful in the garden, right? We know that. He doesn't want us to call good evil or evil good. When something's bad's happening, we call it what it is. He strictly forbids us from calling evil good and good evil. He doesn't want us to do that. That's a game. We're playing games in that situation. But when we contemplate being thankful in everything, we are entering into the secret counsel of the Almighty. This is the secret. You're invited in. I have a secret. This is a secret. You know, you're the secret to a happy life, secret to a happy marriage. I have a secret. A secret? What are you talking about? Let's look at it. Philippians here, fourth chapter, 12th verse. I have learned the secret of placing, uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I have learned the secret. And here's the secret. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. This is the secret. These aren't just words, people. This is life-changing secret. We have to believe it. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. And as that song put it, we know the end, right? We know the end. But there's a beginning. It's all things who, through him who strengthens me. It's possible. It's why we don't lose our minds when the very worst happens. He is our source. 
So we're going to take a look at some basic secrets, if you will, things about God that give us reason to be thankful all the time. The reason Paul tells us in verse 6 to make our requests known with thanksgiving is because thanksgiving helps us to properly orient our minds. So when we come to God and we pray over that electric bill that we might not be able to afford this month, that was our story. We were hand to mouth. We struggled. We prayed over things like electric bills. We can come thankful God, we're so thankful for you. You are our Father. Even when it doesn't feel like it. You know what didn't feel like it for Jesus all the time too? Did you know that? On the cross? My God, my God, why did you forsake me? It wasn't poetry he was quoting. It wasn't just quoting the Bible. This is how he felt. He felt forsaken of God. It's real stuff. Why aren't you doing something, God? Well, he is. Our first point we're going to take a look at is in Revelation, the fifth chapter. It's a tremendous story. It perhaps is the most dramatic story ever put down on paper. Here's John. He's in heaven. He's given this vision. And he said, I saw, Revelation 5, beginning in the first verse, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? So what this scroll represents is, is, is the mortgage, is what they say, the mortgage of our souls. So we have this scroll, and we're all in debt to the place where we are doomed to hell. This is what this picture is about. So we have this scroll, the righteous God sitting on his throne. I have this scroll. Who is worthy to open this and to deal with this? Third verse, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No one. We're in this, our, our, our future is yours and mine. And John himself is standing there watching this. What is happening? We're doomed. No one's worthy. And I began to weep loudly. It was wailing. This is drama. This is a movie. This is a picture. But it's real. John understands the circumstances here. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. <laughs> he came through. 
We were without hope, without God, as Paul writes in Ephesians, far from God, and we have been saved, people. And if God doesn't do another thing for us, if he doesn't answer another one of our prayers, if that's the end of it, we could close this sermon up right now. We're not going to do that. But we could close this sermon up and walk out and never doubt and be unthankful again. Do you remember that moment you first believed? Do you remember that? How thankful you were? Maybe you felt it, maybe you didn't, but you knew it. I am forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did. I once heard it said that if a person could fully grasp the extent of God's love, in sending Jesus to die for our sins, they would get on their knees and crawl to the very spot and kiss the ground where God so loved. We need to revel in this, people. We need to really let this land. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. Our, we know the end. We are going to be with him again. And if there's nothing else that goes our way, we have so much to be thankful for right there. And if you haven't accepted Christ and you don't know that, don't wait another minute. We can also be thankful because God is reigning over creation. That's right. This isn't some, some capricious little, just things that are just happening. This bad luck. God is reigning right now. Look at Revelation, the fourth chapter. We'll flip back a chapter. Ninth verse. And whenever the four... Wait. Yeah, four, nine through eleven. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worshiped him, who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So it starts off, they, they gave thanks, ninth verse, they gave honor and thanks because he created it by his will. They were created and they continue to exist. That's the amazing thing about the, the theory of evolution. How does it keep going? How, why does the sun keep burning? Where does this energy come from? It's an amazing thing if it just happened out of nowhere, but what is keeping this thing going? Is there any wonder that the enemy of our souls has made such a, a, a purposeful attack on the creation? If we could take God as the creator out of our mindsets, on what basis would we be thankful for anything? Dumb luck? But he's not just reigning. He's reigning in power. That's so what the cool thing is. He, everything, he's keeping everything that's going, but 11th, 11th chapter of Revelation. Beginning in the 16th verse. 
in the 24 elders. This is great in heaven. We have all these pictures. This is what's going on in heaven. There's no ambiguity regarding Jesus' authority and who he is and in control. And the, and the four and 20 elders who sit on the throne before God, they fell on their faces and worshiped God. These amazing beings, they fell right on their faces saying, we give thanks to you. Again, see that theme? Just thankfulness, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. You're reigning. Now, it doesn't always feel like it, does it? Well, turn with me again. A little Bible study here, if you will. Hebrews, the second chapter. Beginning in the ninth verse. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Isn't that amazing? He put everything in subjection to Jesus. What things? All things? Something? Everything. It's all. Everything is in subjection to Christ. And then he, 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 he goes on to emphasize it. He left nothing outside his control. Nothing. Every little thing that happens in your life, nothing is outside of the control of God. At present, this is key. See, the Bible's really forthright about this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We go, we, why is this happening? Because it doesn't feel like God's in control. We don't see it necessarily, but we have to understand everything is, even though not yet, do we perceive it and we see it. And I love what he says there in the next, in that ninth verse. But we see him. God has shown us him. And it takes, because flesh and blood does not reveal Jesus Christ to us. I can get up here and speak and jump up and down, and you're not going to believe in Jesus unless the Spirit of God touches your heart. And if he has, you've seen Jesus. What an amazing thing. We may not see him in complete control right now. Israel, I'd take care of that situation, wouldn't you? I'd take care of some things, but he is reigning right now. Because we see him crowned with glory and honor, just like those four living creatures saw him. From whom and by whom, 10th verse, all things exist. Again, the creator. From whom and by whom. He's the creator. And he keeps things going. And he doesn't get tired, he doesn't fall asleep, and he doesn't drop the ball, so to speak. That's why we can be thankful for everything in our lives. We can be thankful because we know God is in control. That's what we just read there. He's in control. So when we're struggling with the mortgage payment, He's in control. 
I have, it doesn't seem like it. I don't see him yet as in control sometimes. We struggle with our job or that rebellious kid or your own rebellion. Why haven't you taken this away from me, God? I've asked you, deliver me from this. Like he's going to wave some magic wand over you or me. Let's see him. The more we see him, the more we can be thankful. And when we do, when we see him as the creator, the sustainer, as he says in verse 10, because of who God is, we can see that all things in our lives happen exactly as they should to accomplish his sovereign will. Every single thing that happens. We don't have to call it good. And that's where we're going to flip over a, a, a great text there in um, uh, Romans 8.28. Most misquoted Bible verse, perhaps, in the whole Bible. Romans 8.28. A lot of people that aren't even Christian could tell us, could quote this to us. And we know, 20th verse, that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purposes. All things happen for the good. All things, we, we hear that, right? And, and the world, what they say is, God's going to come along and he's going to turn it to good. Or, or they just believe in fate. Or they believe that God's just going to take it and he's going to now make that good. No, the thing that is happening is for the good. It isn't good. It's for the good. Jesus dying on the cross wasn't good. It was for the good. In fact, it says that he will look upon the travail of his soul and be satisfied. That's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus, going through all that blood, sweat, and the whole anguish, and not wanting to be any other way. Have you ever prayed that way? I have. Any other way, God. And then what's going to, it says he's going to look as though he's looking back upon the travail, the hardship, the struggle, like travail, a woman giving birth. And, and it's, it's a great picture. How th they hold the baby and it's what? It's crazy. And the pain you just watched him go through. Almost as much as the pain that we've had to go through. No. You, you feel like a baby, don't you? You're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. And you look, and there's your wife, like, ten times worse, right? This travail, way worse than what you've gone through. And he's going to be satisfied. And we will, too. We're going to be satisfied. We're going to be thankful for everything that happened. It's funny, like, I read the book of Job, and I hate the book of Job for one reason. I hate how it starts off. He loses his family. And I can't get past that. I'm trying to imagine what poor Job, his body, the whole thing. I still think, he's, what is going on that I would lose my kids? And then it ends like, and he had these beautiful daughters. Yay, I'm still stuck on that. 
But you know what Job's going to do? He's going to look upon the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He's not going to have to pretend it wasn't that bad. God's going to wipe every bit of pain away. That, that wiping your tears away, that's what it means. I'm going to wipe away your tears. I'm going to expunge the pain. There is no more pain in heaven. The first things have passed. There is no more pain, no more suffering. None shall hurt on my holy mountain. That's the end, right? But we're in the now. Flip over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. It's, it's an amazing chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we don't have time. But he talks about all these great deliverances that God did for these people. Beginning in the 32nd verse, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they obtained promises. God promised them stuff and he came through. They obtained the promises. They stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty, and put foreign armies to flight. Some raised, their children were raised from the dead. And here we go, we got a little change, shifts. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that it may rise again to a better life. Uh, the ASV puts it, to some better thing. I love that. Some better thing. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. Some were stoned. Some were sawn asunder. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, couldn't pay the mortgage, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these, though commended through their faith, what? Did not receive what was promised. What? What are you talking about, God? And I think the writer could have put, yet. Look at God's going to, as Lewis said, he put some of his favorites through the deepest trials. What of it? We try to present Christianity as some picture of um, you'll be free from all the trials and struggles. And we read, some were. And we look at, we see some people, it's like victory under victory, and you're like, wow. But then the Bible's so forthright, they didn't receive the promise. They didn't receive the deliverance. God didn't fail them, people, and God isn't failing you. 
we know that God will use all of these things for good. Your own good and the good of the world. I was talking to someone right before the sermon. Went through a really hard thing. And she said that she now is able to minister to people in a way she couldn't possibly have had she not gone through that difficult thing. That might be one reason. But we know this. God has some better thing in mind for all of us. That's why we can be thankful. When the thing is crumbling around us, we're his. He's our father. We can ask him for deliverance. He doesn't mind. We, we cry out, but we don't demand he take us going on a pony ride. We flip back to Philippians, our, our main text, the Philippians fourth chapter. I love this. Don't be anxious about anything. It's kind of a commandment, but we have to learn it. We have to train our children. Thankfulness is the kind of thing. So we start off as little cranky little kids, and we go through, and you get to teenager, and they're, why don't you buy me the latest iPhone? What? I don't even have the latest iPhone. I should have that, or this, or that. And this is entitlement. We have to learn to be thankful. That's something we have to learn. We have to learn this secret. That's what Paul said. I have what? Learned. So we're learning. We learn not to be anxious about anything. Anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Maybe sometime we'll do a sermon series on prayer. I'm sure we've done it before here, but why do we even pray if he's in control? There's a reason. Why do I preach? He tells us to for the first main reason. He tells us to preach. He tells us to pray. So we just do what he tells us to do. But he uses us. And that's why we can do it with thanksgiving. We come to him thankful for what? For him. He's in control. We're not just beating our chests. We're reaching out to God, our Father, and we pray to him, believing. And so that takes away the anxiety. It's something we have to learn, though. Don't be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What? With thanksgiving. So thankful people are not anxious people. They learn it. If you're, you can be thankful and in that process of becoming not anxious. We live in a culture and a society. Anxiety is rampant. We can be a thankful people. Thankful people pray over everything. And when we grasp that, then the peace of God. Catch this, verse 7. The peace of God, the amazing beyond anything we can imagine, peace of God. That real Horrible trial you're going through right now. You're suffering the peace of God. Why do I feel peace? 
One of the things I counsel with people when, they, when, they, when they're bereaving, when they've lost someone they love, I'll say, you know what's going to happen? And it happens all the time. You're going to feel good. And you're going to ask, you're going to be surprised. It's going to be a little moment where you feel good. And then, and you feel, and then you'll feel good again for a little longer. And then it crashes down. And then you'll feel good. God is replacing that horrible pit with peace. He does it. It surpasseth all understanding. That seems impossible. It is impossible. Now we come back to the secret. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do everything. I can overcome this horrible feeling. I can abound. I love that. I know what it is. Sometimes it's hard to abound. We can forget God when things are going too good. Paul learned how to be thankful when I'm killing it and thankful when it's killing me. Because I have a secret. I can do this because God himself strengthens me. The one we read about there in Revelation, who saved our souls, who sits upon the throne, the creator, in him and through him, everything exists. He's who we have. He's our source of strength. So we can be thankful because God redeemed us. We can be thankful because God is reigning. We can be thankful because God isn't just reigning, he's in control. In this thankfulness, it produces a peacefulness that the world is hungry for. And the source of all of it is through him who strengthens us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for listening to our latest sermon. We look forward to having you join us next week as we continue our series on gratitude. In the meantime, connect with us online. Visit our website at www.provchurch.net or check out our Facebook at Prov Church Life. Until next time, make it a great day, Providence Church.